Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to this episode of the Scottish Paddlecast brought to you by the Scottish Canoe Association. You are currently tuning in to the latest episode of People in Paddle Sport series where we're catching up with the diverse characters across the Scottish paddle sport community. I'm your host Roger Holmes and I'm your co-host Lara Cooper. I'm delighted that we're here today chatting with Steve. Steve is relatively new to paddling having only been a few times over the years. This summer, he signed up for a guided day trip with Otter's Tail, sea kayaking on the Isle of Arran. Steve is registered blind, having gradually lost his sight due to a genetic degenerative condition that came to light when he was in his 20s. Steve is now 60, retired and enjoys a really active lifestyle, taking part in many sports. We're delighted that he's come to join us today to share with us his attitude to life, to sport and to his disability. Hi, Steve. Yeah. Good morning. Right, Steve. Our question we ask everyone um, is, if you could paddle anywhere in the world, where would it be and who would it be with? Um, having had one holiday a very long time ago in, uh, in Zimbabwe, in Botswana and that area, <coughs> I think I'd really like to paddle um, below Victoria Falls. Um, we, we did a whitewater rafting trip there. Uh, we were very naive and I was, uh, I was a lot younger and perhaps a bit more adventurous then, but I, I was still visually impaired and I was very worried that I might get thrown out of the boat, uh, the raft. And of course I did and I forgot to hold on. So rather than being rafting, I found myself swimming and I was rescued by someone, one of the support staff in a kayak. And I quite like to kayak there. Um, but I don't think I'd be capable. It, it, was, uh, it, it was a little bit rough for our liking. It was great fun, and I don't know whether I'd do it now. But I, I'd, go with, uh, I'd go with my two kids, uh, who were a lot more adventurous than I am, because they're in their 20s, so that would be great. Amazing. Steve, I wondered if you wouldn't mind starting off by explaining your visual impairments to give our listeners um, just a general insight into sort of how you get along day to day, what it's like. Yeah, yeah. So I have uh, a condition called Stargardt's disease, which is a, an inherited retinal deterioration, I suppose. So the retina is the part of your eye that... Uh, light focuses on. So uh, I, I wear glasses and that sometimes confuses people. I wear glasses because I'm short-sighted and the lenses in the glasses, their purpose is to help focus the light properly. And it, it, but it focuses on the retina and my retina doesn't work. So it doesn't work properly. So the glasses confuse people because I think people assume that if you wear glasses, they're correct vision, but it, it, it doesn't help mine. So I, it's the, the very central part of my retina that doesn't function properly, and that's called a macula. So it means that I have no central vision. I've in effect got a, a, a big blind spot in the middle of my vision, but my peripheral vision is relatively unaffected. Now you use the central vision for, for looking at things. So you, that, that, that sounds fairly obvious, but it, it's where you direct your gaze. So I'm directing my gaze, I think, at the moment, at the, at the middle of the screen, so on your face. But because my uh, macula doesn't function properly, I can't see anything there. So there's, in effect, uh, a big blind spot. But 
my brain fills in what it thinks is there. But I, I function without central vision and I'm just using peripheral vision. So although the, you've got a huge amount of vision that, you, that normally you don't, you don't pay attention to. So although I'm, I'm looking at the screen, I'm very aware of everything around me. So pictures on the wall, I can see the floor, I can see the ceiling, I can see the background, but I can't see it as well in my peripheral vision. Um, well, no one can see as well in their peripheral vision. I think, I think the best way to illustrate it is um, if, if you could imagine holding a piece of text up in front of you and then just taking it in one hand and moving the text to the side, but continue to focus on the other hand, which is straight in front of you, you'd still be able to see the text in your periphery, but you wouldn't be able to read it because your peripheral vision doesn't allow for clear, detailed vision. And that's what I'm functioning on all the time. So I can't read text. I can't recognize faces, can't really see television. Uh, and, and text is around you all the time. So it's not just for reading, for information and pleasure. I can't do any of that, but it's, re it's seeing labels, signs, notices, it, I never recognise people's faces, so it, it's, it's difficult in that I, I, will, I would walk past people that I know and not acknowledge them, and they, they don't realise that I, or they may not realise that I, I just can't see their face. So I, I have to ask people. It, I, I play a lot of golf. Uh, with, I can never see the ball, but people can help me with that. But I'm, I might be with someone for four hours on the golf course, but you never, I never get close enough to see their face. So then when we get back to the clubhouse, we go, go and put our clubs away. They go to their car. I, I put mine somewhere else. They, everybody puts their clubs away and then you meet up for a cup of tea or something, but I can never find them. And it, it's, it's, it's really embarrassing. So, I, you know, I'm relying on them calling me over or I'm forever listening so I can pick up I recognise people's voices and then go and find them. But there's all sorts of incidents where I go and sit down at the wrong table. I, I followed friends. We were out at, at a pub and, I, and we were, I think I'd gone to the loo as we were leaving the pub. We were then going on to a restaurant and I could see them down the road. So I was following them. I wasn't particularly familiar with the area. I was not quite catching them up, but I saw which restaurant they'd gone in. And I went in and I got inside and I was looking around. I think, I don't can't hear any of their voices. And I went and sat down and I realised I'd followed the wrong group of people and my friends had gone in a restaurant somewhere else and I was completely lost then. Oh, so I'm, I'm forever mixing people up or getting into scrapes. I, I, used, to, I used to work in a school where we, had, uh, we were on split sites and people used to commute from one building to the other by car. I had to walk. But generally, there'd be someone else getting in a car. So I'd always call over, am I okay for a lift? Yeah, sure, come on, get in. Many times I got in with visitors to the school who had no idea who I was. <laughs> or occasionally I'd be walking along to the, and, and a car would pull up to stop. And I, and I thought, oh, someone picking me up. It's very kind of them. And I go to get in the car, just as I'm getting in, the driver was getting out and thinking, there's a fellow here to get jumping in my car. Someone had no idea who it was. So that's just because no, no detailed vision. So I, I can see to walk around, but I, 
but I can't see anything that you need to see in detail. So for recognizing people or reading. But having said that, your, your peripheral vision is really useful for navigation because that, that's what you use sort of subconsciously. It's, a, it's very good at uh, detecting movement. So I, I'm unlikely to walk into things when, I, when I'm walking around. I can generally see, I generally notice obstacles in the way, but I'm often very close to them before I notice them. Uh -huh. You've brought that to life really well, Steve. And I'm going to ask you what probably is a really silly question. Um, how much do you see a similar amount? I mean, I know you, you had vision, so you'll be able to answer this, I think. Um, do you get a similar amount of light in your vision or is it dark? No, I get a similar amount of light. In fact, um, with this condition, I'm very much affected by bright light. So I really struggle on bright days. So glare is a is is a real issue for those of us with, with this condition. So I I, I wear uh, sunglasses when I'm out and about, and uh, usually wear a peaked cap as well. Um, and or if if I don't, I'm I'm, I'm walking with my my hand shielding. Uh, so it it that's that's I need quite a lot of light to be able to give me good contrast to be able to see. But if it's really bright, that becomes an issue in itself. The, the, for people who don't know about visual impairment, there can be many causes of visual impairment, many different effects. And I can illustrate this. So I've got no central vision, but my peripheral vision is not bad. Whereas some, some people may have very good, oh, not very good, pretty good central vision, but in a very, very narrow field. So almost like they're looking down a tube all the time. So they've got no peripheral vision. So kind of the opposite of, of what I have. And I was once in a, we were in a meeting at work and it, it was for and about visual impairment. So most of the, the people who were there were fully sighted, but I happened to be sitting next to someone who had, let's call it tunnel vision. I think she had a condition called retinitis pigmentosa. So Again, a problem with the retina, but she had tunnel vision. Now, within the meeting, we were asked to um, follow some instructions from a screen, which was obviously a few yards away. We also had some written instructions on A4 paper at our desk, and we were also working on a computer. Now, I couldn't do any of those without any help, but the, the lady, my colleague, she was able to help me all the time. She could read things at the distance and nearby, and and could help me. And you wouldn't have thought that she had a visual impairment. And in that situation, she functioned well, whereas I was really struggling. But we were then, after the, after the meeting, we were each going for the train. Um, neither of us are allowed to drive, obviously. And then in walking the street, she was much more restricted than I was because of her tunnel vision. She was less aware of her surroundings, found it really struggled to cross the road, had to be warned about obstacles and steps and so on. And so I was more used to her in guiding her in walking along the streets to get to the station. And then again, once we got to the station, she could read the boards to say which train was next. And so she then was able to help me find my train, whereas I then needed to help her get on the escalator. 
different types of visual impairment have a massively different effect. And, and mine is more useful for being able to get out and about in the environment. I'm useless at, at close up and detail, but in, in, in the big wide world, I'm not too bad. That to me, that sort of just highlights just how important it is for people around who are, who are around and about people with visual impairments of, of asking questions and trying to find yeah. out what yeah. areas that you find easy and what you find difficult. And, yeah, yeah. The the RNIB have got on their website. They've got a few, quite a few uh, video clips of different type uh, people with different types of visual impairment explaining how. The, the things that they struggle with and the things that they're okay with. And, and we, it, it's never a complaint because it's great if someone op offers some help, but they won't necessarily understand the, the kind of help that you need. And, and nor should, how, how would they know? Um, so, but di different people need different things. And I think it is perhaps also important about the age of onset of your visual impairment. So, my vision was good through, um, through school and university. It was, probably, it was probably evident at the end of my university and the start of my teaching career, that I, though I hadn't noticed it. And it wasn't diagnosed until I was in my mid, mid late twenties, but it may have been there a little bit beforehand. But because I'd had good vision growing up, I did all the usual sporting things. Like I played a lot of lot of ball games. I was I, I biked around. You know, I, I did, and and I think you develop fundamental skills then that stay with you even when your vision's deteriorated. But if if you'd started off, if if you were if you've got a visual impairment from birth, I think it's much harder to acquire those skills. It, the your fundamental motor skills would have to be you'd have to be put in an environment to learn those skills whereas if you if you're not visually impaired it it's done so it, it's sort of automatic you, you, you go through the progression of uh, running jumping hitting a ball kicking a ball catching a ball whereas it, it, if you're visually impaired from birth you're not likely to do those things incidentally you'd, you'd only do them if, if you were if you've been taught how to do those in a, in a, you know, maybe a school PE program. You mentioned going into teaching and sort of your impairment, visual impairment sort of coming to light in around um, you starting teaching. How did that affect you, your sort of work life? Oh, massively. I, I, I look back and uh, I, 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 I trained as a PE teacher and it, it was, it was the PE that was in that I found interesting, physical education and sport, rather than teaching. So it, it wasn't. I want to be a teacher. What shall I teach? It was more. Well, let's be honest. It was. Oh, I'm not quite good enough to be a professional footballer and cricketer. So, so what's the next best thing for, for those failed sportsmen? Well, they all become PE teachers, <laughs> and and then they all have to fall back on geography when their knees go and so on. But I, I had to fall back on second subjects a lot earlier because of my, because of my vision. When I, the, uh, the, the school considered that it, it would be dangerous to have a visually impaired PE teacher. So 
there was a possibility of accidents for the children. So I, I had to stop teaching PE and become, well, I suppose one thing I considered at the time was getting out of teaching altogether. Uh, but it, it was it was probably I probably took the easy option and and did uh, redirected my teaching. So I, I did a, an additional qualification, became a teacher of well, the, the qualification was as a teacher of at, at the time it was called special education needs. So I and it was senior. So I did a qualification in special educational needs in ordinary schools. Don't know. <laughs> I don't know that that terminology is not used anymore, but I, I was working in mainstream schools with kids with learning difficulties, um, and and that varied in different schools how they how they uh, organised those those groups. Initially, this is a, a long time ago. Uh, the school that I was at, they separated the children with learning difficulties into a separate class. So I taught full classes of children with learning difficulties, and there were a whole range of learning difficulties. It was actually quite hard going. Uh, I did that for several years and then I, I did a qualification as a teacher of the visually impaired, which was quite interesting. To, uh, and I, I did it really to find out more about visual impairment for myself, but then it became, became my role in, the, in, in schools. I worked for the authority, so I was sort of centrally based rather than working in any particular school. And I worked as an advisory teacher then. But it, I, one, of the, one of the things that people do, if, if, I, if I'm somewhere and um, let's just say, I don't know, uh, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm visiting a, a museum and I'm, I might say they're, they're written text, I can't see. So I'll explain, I'll explain I'm visually impaired. I, I can't read any of your text. Have you got any more accessible formats? Have you got an audio description? Audio is something that I think everyone can use, but often people say, oh no, we've got a braille version. Now, very few visually impaired people can actually read braille, but I did, as part of my qualification, I had to learn braille and and do an exam. But at that time, the vision was a little bit better. And I, stupid, again, I've done all sorts of things that seem daft, but there were lots of people becoming teachers of the visually impaired and they were all fully, most of them were fully sighted. And you can read Braille, obviously it's a tactile medium, but you can read it by sight. And I had just about good enough vision at the time to read Braille by sight. So I learned Braille by sight. The vision has now deteriorated, but I've never learned Braille by touch. And it's a whole different game doing it by touch. So my Braille skills have gone completely. And I said, <laughs> it does make sense, but it sounds stupid that I can't read Braille anymore because my vision's gone. Hmm. Again, it's because all I, assumptions, it's assumptions <laughs> isn't it? We all yeah, jump to assumptions yeah, about yeah, the way yeah. it works. So I, I think in actual fact that there are that there's some statistics I know. They, they can show you anything, but I think there are more fully sighted people can read Braille than blind people can read mm. Braille. The, the fully sighted people do it by sight, which is not the point of it. But Braille, Braille's great for a lot of people, but, but not for me. So if someone offers me Braille, no use to me whatsoever. 
it's amazing right. how things have changed over the years, isn't it? Like you say, you know, you were drawn away from PE because it was seemed to be dangerous. And I'm, I'd like to yeah. think now these days that that would have been approached differently. Yeah. Uh, and but yeah, so much has changed over the years. Um, I'd like to think that more audio things are available as a bit more standard. Um, uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, the accessibility features on phones, iPads and so on uh, are really good now. Mm. Um, we always grumble. There's always bits of things that are frustrating. But going, going when, when my vision first started going and I couldn't read text, I was struggling away with uh, with using uh, optical devices, magnifying glasses and electronic magnifiers, which were very expensive. Uh, software on the computer, it, it would... The software to make text accessible or to, to convert it to an audio format, the, the software would cost more than the computer. Mm. Whereas now it comes as standard. Everybody, everybody's phone and computer will have the um, accessibility features. People don't know that they're there because they don't need to know that they're there. But I, I do everything through audio. I use voiceover on Apple devices and they're great. And... Audio description on television is fantastic. Very frustrating for those programs that you want to watch that are not audio described, but we're getting more and more now that are audio described. Brilliant. Go on, Roger. I, I was just going to say, you, you mentioned your sort of sporting career and, um, earlier. I was just yeah. interested to hear maybe a little bit more about your 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 uh, sporting okay so um football was my was my main sport well i, th I think when when i was at when i was at school i just played everything so as lots of people do that I, I was at a big comprehensive school and we had very keen staff pe staff and other staff who put on all sorts of teams so uh, and if you were keen and enthusiastic you could get a game but i, I Football, I was playing at sort of district and county level, but it, within school, I played cricket, tennis, badminton, basketball, anything that was going, I'd play and enjoy. So um, that, that was why I wanted a, why I pursued a career in, in, as a PE teacher. But after the sight problem um, was diagnosed, I was still able to play football. And there were a, a few things that were difficult. I, I couldn't follow the ball and I couldn't anticipate things as, as well as I'd been able to do previously. But, but football wasn't too bad. Obviously, it's a bigger and relatively slower moving ball than, say, tennis and cricket, which I'd also been playing. And I was playing uh, club cricket, uh, but cricket was the, f the first thing to go, really, because... Okay. Well, it, it, it's visually more difficult because you, you're having to track a ball that's moving very quickly and being directed at you when you're batting. And it's quite a hard ball, which I found to my cost a few times. So uh, um, I, I carried on after I'd stopped playing. I continued. I used to go down to the practice nets because it, it's a social thing. So all my friends were from the cricket club. So I, I used to go and and carry on, and, and I'd bowl at them in the nets, so I, I became like a, a net bowler for a while. But then I realised that uh, 
I remember what I, my vision must have been better then, but I, I could see the batsman. I, I couldn't see the ball when, it, when, he, when he'd hit it, but I could tell from his body shape, oh, I think he's hit that quite well. And I think he's hit it straight back at me. Oh, no. And then he hit me. <laughs> All that went through my mind very quickly. And, and then I realised that this is dangerous. So, so I gave up then. And that, that was probably, it was probably quite... I don't remember being upset by it particularly, but it was probably quite a big, a big deal in my life having to, having to stop things. But uh, um, a friend then said, uh, well, why don't you come and have a game of golf with us? And I had played a bit of golf when I was at school and then, but hadn't, hadn't played through university and in, into my early part of my adult life. And initially I thought, that's ridiculous. If I can't see a cricket ball, I'm not going to see a golf ball because it's a lot further away and it's a lot smaller. But then he, he said, well, you know, it, it's, it's there sitting on a tee. It's not moving until you hit it. And then we'll watch where it goes and we'll tell you where it goes. We'll stand next to you while you play. So I went out and had a few games and found, actually, it, it's no... I was able to manage golf as well as I had done when I could see. It occupies a lot of my time now playing golf and it's a very good thing to do with friends. You're out in the open. It, it, you, you can play anytime you like and... Uh, and and, and it kills a lot of time when, when you're retired as well, so it's a good thing. It, it gets me out of my wife's hair for a while. Now, I, I played a bit of golf, and I sort of understand a little bit about being repetitive and set your setup. I know if I set up, I, you just have to repeat, don't you? And just well, we say just have to repeat. Just have to. <laughs> not repeat. an easy yeah. thing to do. Yeah, yeah, not easy to do. Mm. Apparently, my cover drive as a golfer is really quite good. Yes. <laughs> So, well, and the thing with golf is that we, we play exactly the same game as everyone else does. So, um, Steve, you've obviously like there's an amazing amount of sport that you've obviously played throughout all of your life. Um, and I know this summer you went on a guided paddling trip on Aaron yeah. and Otter's Tail. Um, I yeah. wonder if you could share with us what, what it's like being in a boat. Uh, well, I, I, I found. I mean, I, we, we were in a double kayak, so I had no concerns then because I've, I've got someone with me who, who was guiding, so I, I had no worries about getting lost or bumping into anything. So I, I felt it's almost like you can forget your visual impairments then. So I felt a little bit freed up, to be honest. Um, Wherever I am, where I'm, I mean, I, I travel independently, but it's always a bit of a, a concern. It's difficult for me to catch a bus because I've got to make sure that I'm getting the right, but I've got to use an app to make sure that I know which bus is coming to get the right bus. I've got to ask for help. I've got to either use binoculars to spot the bus coming, which I don't like doing, or use a symbol cane to make sure that the bus driver knows that I'm visually impaired to stop for me. I've got to be very careful when I'm crossing roads. I've got to use pedestrian crossings all the time. So although I'm, I'm busy and I'm active and I travel independently, I've always got something to think about to do with doing the vision. You can't, can never totally relax. Sometimes if, if I'm out walking in familiar areas away from roads, 
then I can then I'm I feel so if I go around the fields and woods locally, I feel totally relaxed in in my walking then. But when I'm out in in uh, within traffic, I've always got to be really really cautious. But out in a boat, no, I I just it I felt relieved of the concern of visual impairment. I didn't feel like I was visually impaired at all. So it just didn't enter into my thinking. So I was just out in a big expanse of water and it was lovely. Amazing. That's music to my ears, you know, to hear that um, perspective, to, to think of, when we offer, uh, paddling is so diverse anyway, there's so many different types of paddling that different yeah. people can do. And we always say there's something for everyone. Yeah. Um, but to hear you say that um, it's freeing and it, you're not worrying about something running you over or falling off. Somewhere. Well, and, and also when, when we're away on holiday, I, now we're retired, we, we've got plenty of time to go on holidays. We, we've always enjoyed going on holidays. We, we were both teachers, so we had long holidays. And that is the best thing about teaching, the two best things about teaching, July and August. Um, <laughs> but when, when you're away, there's often, it, especially if you, I'm not particularly one for beach holidays to sit around reading, sitting in the sun, doing nothing. I, I like to be busy. So it's often, you're often out sightseeing and I, I've got to be very careful because we often go away with family or friends and that might be what everyone likes doing, but I don't like going where what you're doing is looking at things because I'm no good at looking at things. But when you, I do a bit of cycling when I, with a guide. And I like the things where uh, you're getting, you're feeling things or hearing things. And, and, and being in the, in the kayak was like that. You, you can feel where you're going on. You don't need to be able to see. So it, you're being relieved of the need to look at things and you can feel how, you, how you're paddling in the water and whether, you, whether you've got comfortable stroke or that sort of thing yeah one thing that i really enjoy about paddling is that um is that connection with the environment and i can totally yeah. see how yeah without you don't need vision for that you you feel no. the wind and the cold yeah. water on your hands or yeah, the sun or yeah. whatever it is but yeah 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 now the, the that, that day in scotland it was a, a very nice day and a, a calm day with very little wind but the wind is something that I'm very aware of through through golfing. So uh, I generally know which way the wind's coming from, and I, I would imagine that it can affect you greatly when you're out on the yeah certainly on the sea. I would think. Mm. Yeah, headwinds not a not something that we 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 always go out to try and avoid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, it's the same with cycling. Yeah, because we live on the coast, so we there's a. Um, path that we, we can go about 10 miles and traffic free pretty much from our house but and you can go so you can go there and back along the same way and it's amazing how you can be into the wind both ways I don't know how that happened but it does seem to happen. <laughs> Just on your, your, your trip to Aaron yeah obviously Otter's Tail took you out um, yeah what sort of did they do anything special for you or did they need to or did you feel they what was good about the 
Um, they, yeah. they were very reassuring. Um, there were four of us. So um, my sister was with us. She's five years younger than me, but she's got the same visual impairment. And her husband is fully sighted. My wife's fully sighted. So we were fairly confident that we, we phoned up and asked about, I think it was my sister's idea. We were looking for something that we could all do together. And uh, they, they'd been on a couple of uh, adventure travel holidays and had, had done a bit of kayaking. So they were, they were keen to do that. And we, were, we, we had in, in the past, a long time ago, done similar things. So we, we thought it'd be good, but we, we, we did phone up and say, look, we've got two visually impaired people in, in our group of four. Can you accommodate us? And they were very reassuring. So the, they, they didn't seem to think that there'd be any problem. And they offered us the double kayak, which, so we, we were in a double kayak. Though so I think it, we would have been okay in singles as well, but uh, they, they didn't, they gave the impression that nothing would be a problem. So that I found reassuring. But it was only in conversation with the, with the leader, um, Andy, I think his name, um, was telling us as we, we were out on, on the trip that they, they had, um, I think they were actually their da teenage daughters who sometimes worked with them. And they said, you know, if you'd have come on your own and needed some assistance, we would have provided someone to be, a, you know, a, someone in, in your in your double kayak with you. So we didn't know that beforehand, but the fact that they told us that we, we thought was really good. Um, perhaps they should have advertised it. I don't know whether they might have attracted more people. I don't know, but that they were they were very good. Uh, the leader was excellent, and Ellie, who was sort of the second in command, she was, there might have been, I don't know if there were about a dozen or 16 of us, and she, she was coming along and sweeping up at the back and giving advice and helping, helping people. So it, it, it was all really comfortable. Nice. That's really good. It's nice to hear that, you know, providers of, can offer that and not even think of it as being almost unusual. It's just, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, we, 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 are, we use the, the, the term registered blind because it's in common parlance. We're, and both myself and my sister are registered as blind people. Now that's, that's the thing to do with social services, that there's a, a registration. Well, the, 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 the phrase now is severely sight impaired, bracket blind or there's a, a registration level as sight impaired, brackets, partially sighted. But not everyone knows what that means. And although we're registered blind, we do have some sight. Now, it may have been that once, once they saw that we were, we were able to, you know, we, we, were able, we, we walked independently and we, we don't look visually impaired. Um, but... It would be different if someone was totally blind, I think. And I think it would be different if, I don't know whether a totally blind person would independently have, have booked to go on, on that trip. That it would, it would be diff it's difficult for a totally blind person to get around. So they would probably always have gone with 
a partner or, or something anyway. And I think a totally blind person could certainly have done the trick we needed. But if it was their first, first go, they would perhaps have needed a, a little bit more instruction. So the, the instruction we were given was good, and it was basically um, an on-land demonstration of, well, one, how, how, to, how to get into the, the kayak and how to position your legs. But the, the manipulation of the paddle, I was close enough to see the demonstration of that. Perhaps a, a totally blind person might have, been, might have needed a bit more um, physical instruction, you know, might have needed a, a person with him. While, while someone was giving a, a demonstration and perhaps a verbal instructions, it might have needed perhaps a bit more physical instruction. But I'm, I'm sure the people that we were with would have done that. You know, I, I, they seem to just take anything in their stride, which, which was good. I think it's really interesting to think about how um, other people can make, uh, I was going to say, make your life easier, if not the right words, um, make your experience more enjoyable by the way that they behave and the way that they act. Um, have you got, what advice would you give to somebody who was partially sighted or blind or was interested in going paddling? Um, how, how they might approach it and how they might get the best out of their experience? As I always say, and this is not easy for everyone, but best to be totally honest about what, what you need. Pe people generally are going to help you and provide what you need but they won't if you don't tell them what you need so uh i think make make contact before before you go ask questions tell people tell the instructors or the leaders what what you what you might need and and the the, in, the instructors would then need to question you um and i think Go, go with an open mind, but just be prepared. So think of as many things as you can beforehand. But you, you know, and th this, is, this is the reassuring thing from the people that we were with, that they said, uh, you know, nothing can, go, nothing can go wrong. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, but you know that they, they, they've done all their um, safety checks and all that beforehand, and they're going to look after you. But for the, for the totally blind people, I'd, I'd say go, go with someone who's going to come out in the boat, in the boat with you. Um, certainly for the, I think, I don't know whether a totally blind, pe a totally blind person probably have to be in, 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 a, in a double all the time. But that's, that's great. I think the thing is, the, the big thing is accepting that you need some help. That, that's sometimes difficult for for people who are trying to be independent all the time, trying to be independent at work, trying to be independent in, in travel and so on. It's quite a big deal getting your head around the fact that actually I'm doing something here that I'm not totally familiar with. I'm going to need a bit of help. And, and if you ask for help, you'll get help. But, but you, need, you need to know what, what help you might need, I think. And it's going to be different for, for everyone. I think as coaches as well, we, um, you know, I've, I've coached paddle sport for a long time and you're always, 
playing that balance of helping in enough but not helping too much because yes. everybody's the same they want to become yeah. independent. they want to become yes. independent um and you're trying to tread that line carefully so that you're yeah. not smothering them or on the one hand or giving them so much freedom that they um fail in some way because they've not they don't have yeah. the skills to do whatever it is that they're doing yeah um, so we're kind of as coaches we're used to doing that um, yeah. so it's just the same really um having those open and honest dialogue both ways and good questioning and those sorts of things which are going to help mm. the experience be positive for everybody yeah it's also um diff different people would have different perception of, of what we were doing i think in your introduction you, you mentioned I, I think we 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 booked in for uh sea kayaking now we we actually mentioned this to a couple of our friends oh we, we had a really good time because they're going to the same part they're going to Aaron next year and we said oh one of the things that you must do go on one of these sea kayaking adventures and they, and they both these are fully sighted people and they went, oh, God, no, 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 not from, oh, no, far too dangerous, that. And so they had a different perception than we had because I, I didn't think it would be, I'm sure it could be, sea kayaking can be dangerous, but it was enough for them to think, oh, no, that's not for me. But I, I'd just taken it as a little paddle around in the sea. <laughs> agree you've got a great attitude steve it's been lovely um hearing you just talk about the that um just a general approach to life where you you're not frightened of giving things a go you um, you obviously like it suits you you like being in the outdoors you like being active and doing sports and those things and um to you that those op they're seen as opportunities and exciting yeah. to do and it's just brilliant to hear you yeah. that attitude come shining through yeah. it's been brilliant but there's all those activities that you have to be realistic um certain things that i just couldn't couldn't possibly do and get anything out of so there's no point doing them have a look at the things where it's you're going to enjoy it but it's feasible so you know um i think things where you can have a sighted person to assist you but not but then still enjoy it as well. So you, you're doing it alongside someone and they're great things. So when I cycle with a group of friends, we're all just out on a bike ride. They're kind of guiding, well, they're guiding me and describing things, but they're just getting on with it and I'm getting on with them. And, and there are certain things where that's feasible and, and paddling is one of them. That's, it's just that... You just you just with other people, and there, and if you need a bit of help, you get a bit of help. It's great. No, that that's brilliant, Steve. It's really inspiring. Your story from how you dealt with you losing your sight through your career, through your ver various sporting exploits, which is <laughs> is is absolutely brilliant. From playing cricket to football to cycling to canoeing it's been really really informative and I guess we all need to learn to ask those questions both ways as we're coaches or whether we're a participant it's it's that dialogue as I think Lara said yeah. um really big thank you for for taking part today and, no problem. and 
informing our listeners. Thank you, Steve. Um, amazing insights that you've shared with us today. Um, I've certainly found it really fascinating. Um, and I genuinely didn't have really any idea of what it must be like to for somebody with a visual impairment. And I'm sure I would have been drawn into making wrong assumptions and not necessarily doing um, the right thing. So it's been it's been really great to talk to you today. To our listeners, I hope that you found it as informative and inspirational too. For coaches and volunteers who are interested in um, working with and find out more on how to work with people with a disability, please get in touch. And the SCA is happy to put on a paddle ability course um, to help providers, clubs, centres to be more inclusive. And thank you to everyone at home for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe to us whenever you listen to your podcast. You can find us on Podbeam, Spotify and Apple. We hope you enjoyed listening today. And most importantly, we hope that everyone is keeping safe. Goodbye.